Proverbs 14.1 The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. Again, the wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. Lord, I simply ask that you will apply this teaching this morning to us all. Give us ears to hear and open hearts and patient hearts, Father, to to stay with this whole thing. And bless, Father, the teaching of your word. May we hear truth. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm entitling this morning's teaching, A Woman's Place, or depending on how how it goes, Rick's Farewell Address. (laughs) You know, seriously though, this, this is one of many subjects that requires wisdom far beyond my own, as I realized when I got into it. But because the Lord speaks to this subject, we need to listen. And I think we need to pause and pay attention. I blew by this one last week. In fact, you know, last Sunday we were in Proverbs 15. I thought I was free and clear. Not so much. But I do need to make a disclaimer to you before we study this passage. The disclaimer is this. I realize that not every woman is in the same place here. That represented among us as a fellowship, there are multiple different places where you ladies are at. From, from youngest to oldest, from children in the house to no children in the house, from married to not married, all sorts of different situations and arrangements. I also realize that any teaching on the role of women could be taken either as irrelevant to men or as uh, an opportunity for brutishness among men. I don't want either one to be the case. Furthermore, in today's postmodern culture, this single verse could be offensive to some or to others simply out of touch. Just archaic. But I trust the Lord to make personal application for all of us in this verse. Every one of us here this morning, I believe there's application. I trust God's Word to be relevant to all people of all generations. Though we might change, God's Word does not change. Jesus does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I trust that His Word does not, listen ladies, does not demean but encourages all women wherever you are. And I think you'll see that, but you're going to have to stay with me to the very end this morning. Because we're going to look at a few things that could be upsetting. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. We talked about wisdom as a woman a few weeks back. The whole idea of Solomon using that feminine personification to describe wisdom back in Proverbs 8 and 9. He borrows from feminine characteristics to express wisdom. And you may recall that teaching. Wisdom is soft-spoken, it's compassionate, it's virtuous. And so Solomon does a good thing in using that feminine personification. That's not the case here. That is not what he's doing. It's not what's being said. This is not a generic or general personification. This is personal. He is describing a woman who is wise and a woman who is a fool. So it's a very specific thing. And based on which one of these two you choose, ladies, you are either a wise woman or you are a foolish woman. The Hebrew construction is very clear here. Solomon is writing 
specifically of a woman's wise and high calling. And as we'll see, Proverbs 14.1 is not alone in declaring this, that the highest priority of a woman of God is the management of her home. Let me say that again. The highest priority of a woman of God is the management of her home. Now, Wednesday night, I shared that in today's world, this verse has got to rank high among the most politically incorrect. Oh, there are a few others that would be right up there with it. But this one, people would hear and today say, Oh, come on! Come on! You'd have to be in a barn to say something like that. You know, you've got to be in the backwoods somewhere. Politically incorrect. I did say this Wednesday as well, when the Word of God, which, by the way, is not without power, when the Word of God seems to be incompatible with culture, culture needs to change. Culture's the problem, not God's Word. But that raises this question. Can I, can we change an entire culture? Yes. And we want to believe we can. And part of me agrees. Part of me thinks, yes, we must change culture. We've got to be a light in the darkness. We've got to spread out and shine brighter than we have in past decades here in America. We must change culture. But it seems daunting. You know, it's one thing to get stirred up in the midst of a teaching on a Sunday morning. Yeah, let's go change the culture. And we walk out the door, and the second we run into culture, we go, (laughs) what a mess. Is this possible to change? I know this much to be true. In these last days, I can change my culture. I can change the culture of my home. I can change the culture of my family life. I can, we can make decisions individually and as a fellowship that changes the way we function. And if we have any hope of changing culture around us, that's where it starts. It starts with me. It starts with you. And a decision to change our perspective, our culture. In fact, wisdom demands it. And so the wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. This is not talking about brick and mortar. But the Hebrew word there, build, banah, is literally establish. The wise woman establishes her house. Proverbs 24, verse 3, using the same word, by wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. We're talking about the establishment, the construction of a godly household, which, by the way, is the responsibility of both man and woman together. When Boaz... You may remember Boaz, that kinsman redeemer of the young woman Ruth. When he took that role of taking Ruth on as his wife, we're told in Ruth chapter 4 verse 11, all the people who were in the court and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, both of whom built the house of Israel. And may you achieve wealth in Ephrathah and become famous in Bethlehem. And just as Rachel and Leah built Israel, established Israel, so Ruth would build a house, establish a house that would eventually yield the greatest wealth and fame in all of Ephrathah's history. Bethlehem's history. You Bible students know that Jesus came of the line of Ruth and Boaz. But what does Proverbs exactly mean? What does this proverb mean? That a wise woman builds her house. And I'll give you three perspectives this morning 
that I believe are supported in God's Word. Number one, the Lord, ladies, the Lord requests your presence at home. The Lord requests your presence at home. For a woman to build her house, she's got to be there. Two years ago, Sarah Palin took the stage at the Republican National Convention and wowed the Republican Party. And she thanked Hillary Clinton in that speech, one of the more famous speeches in recent memory. She thanked Hillary Clinton for breaking the glass ceiling for women to be able to rise in politics and empower on the world stage. Focus on the family. Applauded Sarah Palin's speech. The Family Research Council was right up behind her. And what was amazing to me is longtime supporters of women in the home now laud the appearance of a woman on the political scene. How many of you remember when Geraldine Ferraro took the stage as Walter Mondale's vice presidential pick in 1984? And the same people at that time of the Republican Party, what is a woman doing in this place? No, women's... Women should be in the home. Women should be with the family. Women should not be on the political scene. And the debate raged on the other side. But when Sarah... You know, it's interesting to me. It's almost like it's more important that we win than that we be right. I wonder about these things. What was it that changed from 1984 to 2008? Proverbs says the wise woman builds her house. Not the wise woman builds the White House. Now, I'm not saying we couldn't have a woman president. I'm not even saying I wouldn't vote for one. A lot of it depends on where she's at in life. A lot of it depends on what's going on at home. But ladies, hear me. And please understand this. The greatest power you will ever wield is in your home. I know it doesn't seem that way. I know it seems for a woman to be powerful in the world today, you've got to get out there. You've got to make something of yourself. You've got to be successful. You've got to battle men for the same type of work in the workplace and everything else. I understand that. I know what's going on in our culture. I'm not blind to all of this. But when we hear names like Sarah, Rachel, Leah, Yachabed, Ruth, Hannah, even Mary. When we hear these names that we listen to and hear with such respect of women in history, we realize they left their greatest mark on the planet from their living rooms. They they didn't go out searching for something other than the role that God created for them. Now remember, I said you're going to have to stay with me the whole way this morning. In his commentary on Proverbs... Charles Bridges said, The godly woman is the very soul of the house. She instructs her children by example, no less than by teaching. She educates for God and for eternity, not to shine in the vain show of the world, but in the church of God. Listen again to the last part of the verse. The foolish woman tears it down with her own hands. She tears it down with her own hands. What's interesting, when you study this thing, the the Hebrew idiom here can either mean that the foolish woman tears her house apart, tears it down, or, or it can also be translated or mean that it comes crashing down because she's got too many other things in her hands. She can't hold it up. She can't build her house because she's got too much else going on. And that's interesting to me and food for thought. 
Before we go any further, you might say, well, Pastor Rick, what about a woman with no children in the home? Let me ask you, can you still educate for God and for eternity in your home? Does the instruction of the Gospel in the home require the presence of children? Now, we can assume the wise woman building her home means that she has plenty of children and she teaches and instructs her children. And to some degree that's correct. But it also means that the wise woman teaches from, uses her home for the sake of the kingdom of God, regardless of whether or not there are little ones running around. Does the instruction of the gospel in the home require the presence of children? I point you to Acts chapter 18, verse 24, where a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus. He was mighty in the scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted, however, only with the baptism of John. This Apollos began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. You know what's interesting? Priscilla and Aquila, famous names in the church, and we see them in the book of Acts and in other places in Scripture. Priscilla... We never hear of her having any children. What we do hear is of her teaching from her home. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 16.19. Paul says, The churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Prissa, or Priscilla, greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. So whether or not Priscilla had children was beside the point. She was still a woman at home teaching the truth of the Gospel from that place, managing her home. So ladies, if you have little ones in the home, instruct them in the Lord. If you don't, your calling is no less valid. Build your house. The Lord requests your presence. Open it up for a small group. Teach those who don't know the Lord. Disciple other women as Lana Butler does or Marge Kimball or others among us in this fellowship who no longer have children in the house but use the home as a place of teaching and instruction. You know, no kids are mentioned in the home of Mary and Martha either, but they hosted Jesus. They hosted Jesus. Whatever the case may be, the Lord requests, ladies, your presence at home. Secondly, the Lord recognizes your guidance at home. The Lord recognizes your guidance at home. 2 Timothy 1.5 Paul says, To Timothy, I'm mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. Timothy's father is not mentioned. Why? All kinds of speculation on that one. But we know that the training came from his grandmother and from his mother. And by the way, that was very Jewish. Typical Jewish tradition was mom taught Torah in the home. Mom taught the kids. Mom educated. Father helped as well. But Timothy's own faith grew out of the sincere faith of a godly grandmother and a godly mother in the home. I've mentioned before something that I call the triune pillars of truth. The triune pillars of truth. In America, there was a day where we had three pillars that stood together on the foundation of truth. And every generation was educated with Christian values and morals and principles in this triune way. It used to be the home and the church and the school. 
And between these three areas, a child was raised up going through all three of these and having the same truths reinforced again and again. At home they were reinforced. At school they were reinforced. And of course, in the church they were reinforced. But now in our so-called enlightened, intellectual, information-driven age, this modern culture, we see these pillars of truth crumbling around us. Rick, would you go back to the 1700s? No, I would go back to the Word of God. I would go back to the truth. And I would say that we have a responsibility in the church, again, beginning with this culture, beginning with this culture, we have a responsibility to build up and shore up these pillars of truth, however we need to, home, church, and school. We've lost the public school. What about the church? What about the home? I heard from Leslie just recently, she gave me some statistics on on, uh, what's going on in children's ministry. The typical dropout age from Sunday school is now fifth grade. Which means apparently, fifth graders are having trouble borrowing the family car to get to church. (laughs) Or perhaps the home just doesn't care. Can we change the culture? Maybe or maybe not, but we can change our culture. Let me give you another example of a woman's guidance. There's Timothy's grandmother and mother. Well, there's several other women in Scripture that gave guidance to their children. 2 Chronicles 22, verse 2, tells us Ahaziah, who is the eighth king of Judah, was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah, the granddaughter of Omri, he also walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, for his mother was his counselor to do wickedly. The foolish woman tears it down with her own hands. Athalia is a perfect example of a foolish woman tearing her house down with her own hands. And you know, if you went through our study of First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, it's interesting. You find that through the genealogical lines of the kings of Judah and Israel. The mothers are often mentioned. Often mentioned, which is unusual. It's not typical. In genealogical lines in the Middle East, in Jewish lines, typically it's all male. But in these lines, many times through the mentioning of the kings, it's not even the father that's mentioned, it's the mother who is mentioned. Why is that? Because whether a king was successful and godly or a failure and wicked, God's word pins the medal on mom. God's Word says, Mom, it is your influence that is important and matters. Your house rests on your guidance, mothers. And wives, it goes for you too. It goes for you as well. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 4. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. Not an excellent wife crowns her husband. Let's get that clear. You see, this is where translation is very important to get accurate. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who shames him is like rottenness in his bones. And the whole book of Proverbs concludes speaking of this excellent wife, this superwoman. We'll look at that later. But it says, an excellent wife who can find, Proverbs 31 verse 10, for her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband, listen to this, the heart of her husband trusts in her. And he will have no lack of gain. You know what our world has done? Our world says the heart of a husband who trusts in his wife, that guy's whipped. It's the old ball and chain. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says in that marriage relationship, 
The husband should trust his wife. The wife should be trustworthy. And together they are better than they would be apart. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. Verse 23 of Proverbs 31 says, Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. So women might say, great. So I'm at home dealing with all the home stuff and he gets to sit in the gate with the guys shooting the breeze. That's right. <laughs> wow, this may not be my last Sunday alone. Jason and I are looking for another place to hang our hats. This whole picture is that the man has the wisdom because to sit in the gate and among the elders means leadership. It means authority. And his wisdom to do that is connected to his wife who, in whom he trusts. Which is why the Bible also tells us, 1 Timothy 3.2, an overseer must be above reproach, husband of one wife. Now yeah, that's addressing to some degree polygamy. You can't have many wives. But it's also saying you got to be a husband to be a shepherd in the church of God. you got to be a husband. Why? Because we're a little brighter when we have our, li- our wives with us. Single guys going, did he just call us stupid? No, no. <laughs> Maybe. No, I didn't. I'm saying. First Timothy 3 talks about that. Titus 1.6, Paul repeats it again. A husband, an elder has to be a husband because there is something about the trust of his wife And the wisdom, there's a spiritual wisdom. I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'll say this. There's a spiritual wisdom women have that men lack. And we need. And it blesses us to see things with her eyes. We're talking about, gang, and and hear this. This is the thing. We are talking about divinely inspired, God-designed roles. A role for man. A role for woman. The Creator made us to function at our best when we function in these roles. It's our culture that denies it. It's our culture that tries to make a woman more like a man and a man more like a woman. It's our culture that says, blur the lines and let's just, you know, let's all be Chaz Bono. (laughs) Who, by the way, and I'm just going to say it like it is, who is an example of what happens when culture says there's no difference. That's where we go. The question is, who are we going to listen to? Culture or Christ? Ladies, if you would be wise, if you would listen to your God, He requests your presence at home. He recognizes your guidance in the home. And finally, number three, the Lord requires your obedience at home. And the hammer fell. Look at verse 2 of Proverbs 14. It's interesting, the very next proverb that follows verse 1. He who walks in his uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is devious in his way despises him. Ladies, the Lord, men, the Lord requires your obedience because it's the fear of the Lord, not of man. And it's obedience to the Father that's required, not to hubby. That's not what I mean when I say your obedience is required at home. Your obedience to the Lord is required. Now what I want to do with the remainder of this teaching is walk through a couple of biblical minefields. So if you would turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Familiar passage to many of you. 
let's look at it in context and what Paul is saying to men and to women alike. As God requests, ladies, your presence at home, He recognizes your guidance at home, and He requires He requires your obedience at home if you would be a godly woman, if you would be a wise woman. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as Christ also is head of the church. He Himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Who are we to be subject to? And that's the question. Is Paul saying, wives, you got to be subservient to the husband? Is Paul saying, Husbands, here's your shot. Lord it over your wives. As Christ loved the church, you know. But still, he's Christ and you're the church. Look at it that way. Is he setting up levels of power and authority here? You know what set up levels of power and authority between men and women? The curse in Genesis chapter 3. The curse caused that. Before the curse, it was Adam and Eve in the garden. Together, side by side. After the curse, God said, you know what, Eve? Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Which is levels. And it was a curse that God laid down. So what is Paul talking about here? Who are we to be subject to? Well, the key phrase, ladies, in verse 22 is as to the Lord. So we hear it that way. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Wives, be subject to your husbands out of fear of the Lord. Because you love the Lord. Because you're obedient to the Lord. Be subject to your husbands. For Jesus' sake, for God's sake, any submission or subjection to a husband is not because of the husband. It's because of the Lord. It's because, Christian women, you have chosen to live culturally different. You have chosen to live based on a standard set up by the Lord. Now, many women over the years, Christian and not, have argued that Paul is a male chauvinist pig because of what he says. But aside from the fact that all Scripture is God-breathed, including what Paul wrote down, even if we set that aside, listen to what Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 3, verse 23. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen. So what does that mean? We are all together equal before the Lord. We are all together one in Jesus Christ. There is not one who is over the other. In fact, Jesus turns it upside down and says, He who would be you know, greatest among you must be least. Amen. So this whole idea of subjection is a godly way of the Lord setting up roles in which we function well. Men function better with a wife who is in submission. Wives function better with a husband who truly loves and honors and cherishes her and gives himself up for her. That's what Paul's talking about there. This is not levels of lordship, man over woman. It's roles. It is godly positioning in a healthy marriage and a healthy family. And note this, look back at verse 21 that precedes this section. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. 
which is wives to husband and it's husbands to wives. Be subject one to another. The heart of godly subjection is one to one in the body of Christ. Husband to wife, wife to husband, man to woman, woman to man, friend to friend, brother to sister, sister to brother, across the board. Be in subjection one to another in Christ Jesus. Turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 2. First Timothy chapter two. Let's begin in verse eleven. First Timothy two eleven. A woman <laughs> a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. The context of this entire passage is critical to understand. And please hear this. The issue here that Paul is laying out is biblical authority. Okay? It's biblical authority. A woman must quietly receive instruction, biblical instructions, what's being talked about, with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Now, I don't think that's the way Paul said it. But people will read this verse. Many Bible commentators read this and they say, passe, archaic, old school. And I would say, biblical. It doesn't matter how you feel about it. This is God's Word laid out before us. We've already talked about Priscilla teaching Apollos. Of course, she was alongside her husband, Aquila. Was Priscilla and Aquila together, but they together taught Apollos. So what's the deal here? Break this verse down. Verse twelve. Note this: the word "teach." First of all, the word "teach" in the Greek is didasko. It's where we get the word didactic. What does that mean? It means authoritative teaching. It's what I'm doing right now, and it's not an authority that comes from Rick. It's an authority of the Word of God. Authoritative teaching, taking the word and presenting it and authoritatively saying this is the truth. It's authoritative moral instruction. Kenneth Woost in his word studies, excellent by the way, word studies of the New Testament, said the context here has to do with church order and the position of the man and the woman in church worship and in church work. Remember this, the position of a man and a woman, not the authority, the power, the greatness, the levels. Just the position, the place that God has called us to. He says, the kind of teacher Paul has in mind is spoken of in Acts 13, verse 1, 1 Corinthians 12, 28 and 29, and Ephesians 4, 11. These are God-called, God-equipped teachers recognized by the church as those having authority in the church in matters of doctrine. So when Paul says, I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet, teach is to dasco. I don't allow a woman authoritative teaching. Which is why we don't have a woman pastor teacher at the bridge. Are there women here who are every bit as capable of teaching the Word as I am? Absolutely. Beth Moore is a phenomenal Bible instructor and teacher, but she won't even teach men. So this is to teach didasco, authoritative moral instruction. But he he goes on, it's not just uh, the, the word teach, exercise authority. You need to hear what that means. 
To exercise authority over is the word authenteo, which doesn't mean authentic. Authenteo literally means to dominate. To dominate. I don't allow, Paul says, a woman to instructively teach or dominate a man. The idea is that of supplanting the godly authority of a man again in the church setting. Paul is not setting up women to be dominated by men. He's exhorting them. He's exhorting them not to seek dominance. And probably speaking to a specific issue, though I can't say with certainty, he's saying, ladies, don't try to be dominant in the church setting. Because it's self-serving. Because it doesn't build up anybody. Because it simply causes problems. This is the issue, by the way, I believe was going on in 1 Corinthians 14 when Paul says a woman should remain silent and ask her husband questions at home. Because in that setting, in that church at that time, it's very likely that the women were riled up. And that there was some battling for authority. Now that the new lines have been drawn, now that all were one in Christ Jesus, there was starting to be some fighting and back-talking and, and disagreements going on. And Paul says, no, women, don't seek dominance. Don't seek to be dominant. But note this, the other verse, the word here is to remain quiet in verse 12. Quiet. What does that mean? The word is hesukia. Hesukia in the Greek means to be still. It means quiet. It means peaceful, tranquil. What's interesting about this verse, it means having a quiet spirit. Men are required to have the same spirit. Look back in verse 2 of this chapter. Paul says in verse 1, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Hesukia. Paul says, just as he says to women here, you need to remain quiet. He's already said to men, you've got to remain quiet. You've got to be tranquil people, peaceful people. Not dominant, not boastful, not arrogant, not proud, not rude, not seeking power and authority one over the other, but tranquil. So, ladies, what Paul says to you in verse 12, he said to men already in verse 2. The issue has already been addressed to men. But I'm the man of the house, he might shout. No, you're just a big stupid brute. (laughs) I am woman, hear me roar. (laughs) No, Proverbs 27.15 calls you a constant dripping. (laughs) Bottom line, God doesn't like loud talkers. Which I contend to be. The Bible teaches that no one, man or woman, should be dominant or bossy. We are all called to live peaceful lives, kind of like Jesus. You think about the way Jesus taught, the way He moved. How often, in the stories that we have in the Gospels, how often did He even raise His voice? A couple of times He did. When He squared off with the Pharisees and said, Woe to you, Pharisees, hypocrites! probably raised his voice a bit when he wept over Jerusalem and said, how I long to gather you under my wings. But most of the time, you just see this tranquil, peaceful, gentle spirit in Jesus Christ. And if we're longing to be more like Jesus, men and women, we're going to be more tranquil in how we live our lives and how we conduct each other, even in the church. Verse 13. 
it was Adam, for it was Adam, and here Paul is laying out the basis for telling the ladies not to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And it was not, and he's talking about roles, positions here. It was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Okay. Wait a minute, is Adam off the hook? <laughs> Paul's saying, ladies, you need to be especially wise and discerning. Why? Adam was not deceived, Eve was. And the point I believe Paul is making here is that Adam was willful and foolish. He knew exactly what he was doing. Adam was not deceived. Don't miss that. Adam was not deceived. He knew it was wrong. He did it anyway. Stupid, foolish sin. He chose it. Eve, however, was deceived. Well, was she more gullible than Adam? That's not the point. It's not that she was more gullible. I would put it to you this way. Eve was more spiritual. And I've seen this over and over in ministry over the years that women tend to be more spiritual. There are always more women in Bible studies than men. There are always more women interested in prayer times, typically, than men. Why is that? I'm not trying to cast guilt or shame on on any man. I'm just saying the tendency is that women are more interested in the spiritual things than men tend to be. And I'm talking naturally. I'm talking about in the flesh. Eve was deceived. She was lied to. She was tricked. How did it happen? Genesis 3.5 God knows that in the day you eat from the tree, Satan said, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And I believe that Eve was deceived in the very area that women are most easily deceived in her desire to be godly. In her desire to be more like God. That appealed to Eve. What about Adam? Well, Eve appealed to Adam, so he ate the fruit. But what appealed (laughs) to Eve here was a desire to be more spiritual. You'll know good and evil. You'll be more like God. This was the temptation that Satan laid out before her. And this is the temptation that tends to undermine women today. To be caught up in something that sounds like, oh, I can be closer to God this way. And so Paul says, ladies, you need to be wise. You need to be discerning because your spirit is going to be more easily deceived in the area of these things. Not gullible, spiritual. Notice Paul's admonition, by the way, to men back in verse 8. I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. He doesn't say that to the women. Why? Because the men need to pray. Because the men aren't praying. He doesn't have to tell the women to lift up holy hands in prayer. They're already doing it. It's the men who are going, oh, just turn on the game. (laughs) No, guys, pray. You need to do that. You need to be drawn into spiritual things. You need to be in the Word. You need to be leading forward in your households. Because you are pursuing Jesus along with your wife. I actually think that's kind of sexist. Why doesn't he call women to pray? Why is he picking on men? It's not fair. <laughs> Some of you will realize what I just said. Oh, he flipped the thing. That, okay. Here's the point of verses 13 and 14. Get this. Eve was created to complete Adam, not to compete with Adam. 
He was created to complete Him, not to compete with Him. We each have our God-given roles in the marriage, in the family, in the church community, and the obedience of God begins right here in the home. The obedience that God, ladies, requires of you, men requires of you, begins at home. Now listen to verse 15, one of the toughest verses probably in the whole Bible. We're going to deal with it. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraints. Women will be preserved in the bearing of children. The King James translation says women will be saved in childbearing. Well, that's thank goodness that's the King James and the old Elizabethan and it's not accurate here, right, Pastor Rick? <laughs> um, the word is sowed so. It is the word for salvation. It's the word Scripture uses to describe salvation. Anytime you say save, salvation, whatever in Scripture, it's sowed so. It's this word. A woman will be saved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. Stay with me. Are you saying, Pastor Rick, is the Bible saying that salvation is tied to bearing children? No. No. Listen closely. Because Paul is not talking about eternal salvation, though the word can be translated that way. So what's he saying? Sozo is not just salvation in the way we think of it, going to heaven. Sozo is wholeness. It's healing. It's and or to be brought safe and sound out of a difficult place into a good place. That's sozo. That's the whole idea here. And our culture is increasing the pressure and putting women, putting mothers in an especially difficult situation saying, forget the home. Your fulfillment is in your success. It's in personal achievement. It's in power. It's in breaking the glass ceiling. That's what a woman should do. That's what our culture says. And God's Word says... Women will be saved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith, love, and sanctity with self-restraint. The Lord says, ladies, you will find your greatest wholeness, your joy, your satisfaction, your greatest fulfillment right here at home. There's still a problem. So the only way a woman can be whole and fulfilled is through childbearing. Again, No. A woman certainly can find wholeness and healing in childbearing. Absolutely it is a good place to be. Absolutely God is calling women to raise up their children in a godly home. But note this. Please don't miss this. I had never seen this before. The key word in verse 15. If. If is the key word. Not Sozo, not childbearing, but if, listen, the women will be preserved through the bearing of children, they'll find fulfillment, satisfaction, wholeness in the bearing of children, if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. What does that mean? It means that it's not childbearing that brings the wholeness, it's faith and love and sanctity and discretion. That's where the wholeness is. And the misunderstanding of this verse across the ages has been a woman's got to bear children to be whole. No, a woman's got to have faith to be whole. A woman loves to be whole and healed. A woman has the sanctity of the Holy Spirit. A woman lives with discretion in the home. Children or not. 
And ladies, if you have kids, then you apply this to your children. If you don't have kids, then you apply this to your own heart, that you do so in faith and love and sanctity and discretion. It is faith in the Lord to live with His plans for our lives. It's loving like Jesus loved. Whether it's loving children or husband or wife or church family or friends or neighbors. It's living holy lives. Lives seeking to be sanctified by the Holy Spirit, not settled in culture. Gang, that, that is where we all, man and woman alike, that's where we all find wholeness, salvation, and healing. So the wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. Father, we just ask that you would help, Lord, all of these words just to sink in, in our marriages, in our families, in our relationships one to another as brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray that we would be more accepting, Lord, of what you have ordained, of of the roles that you've invited us to walk in. And that we would all reject dominance and favor, Lord, of submission, first and foremost to Christ Jesus, and secondly to each other. That we would learn to walk as Christ walked. To be Jesus' people. And in so doing, I pray what we've been praying a lot lately. That as Jesus' people, we would bring people to Jesus. And we lift you up, Lord. For you are the one true great authority. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.